Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick, and I'm here with my friend Zach. Hey, everyone. Uh, so today, we're going to be going in-depth into a couple of Dominaria decks. Um, there's a lot of exciting new commanders in this set, so we want to take a look at a couple that uh, build into some some unusual decks. They're definitely created new archetypes for the format, so we want to discuss them with you. Yeah, it's pretty rad. I think first we wanted to briefly touch on Battle Bond, like mega briefly, just because it might have cards that are relevant to Commander, and mm -hmm. that's kind of where my hesitations lie, or I've said before that, like, I think that a lot of the times when they make these multiplayer formats, they either don't go hard enough and you end up with a oh, cool multiplayer sets. Multiplayer sets, yeah, yeah, sorry. Think like Conspiracy, the Conspiracies, or um, even like honestly the Commander decks the last few years. Mm -hmm. They'll come up with a cool idea and then just be really afraid of it or really afraid of another true name nemesis type situation and not push it at all. So maybe you'll get one cool card out of a mechanic. So let's say like Blade of Cells with Myriad. Or something. But... I, I think they've gotten a little better in recent years because, okay, so I understand what where Wizards is coming from. They are interested in exploring as much design space as possible, and in a normal set, they don't have the opportunity to really go hard on multiplayer-only stuff. Yeah, that's so true. So they were, initially they started out, what are the cards we can only make in multiplayer? Yeah. <laughs> and then we got garbage like uh, Join Forces. Yes, just so um, terrible. <laughs> that give your opponents a ton of value and cards and it's like why in god's name would i ever choose to run this why am yes. i trying to help my opponents instead of win the game yeah and then they've done a little bit better in recent years uh undaunted was it was fine it was a decent mechanic but they like did not push it at all like the yes. fact that the Wrath, the base case, in a four-man game, the base case is it's a Day of Judgment. Yeah. Like, that is, that, or, or rather, let, that's the best case scenario. And then once it gets down to 1v1, it's like you're playing six mana for a Wrath, and it's like, this incredible mana efficiency is really going to help me win the game. Yeah, or it wasn't even, it's a Day of Judgment, too. It's not even Yeah, it's just not a even Wrath. a Wrath of God. So, that's that's I guess that's my main fear with Battle Bond. Also, like... They're the characters. I'm oh, yeah. pretty we'll, trolled we'll, about. We'll get into that in a second. <laughs> yeah. So first, we want to just start with the initial cards that have been spoiled, which yeah. is a cycle of dual lands. Um, so they're allied color, and they enter the battlefield tapped unless you have two or more opponents. So unlike Undaunted, the, the best case <laughs> scenario is pretty good. It's just straight enters the battlefield untapped, and it really only... Uh, comes into play untapped in the very, very late game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think these are awesome. Like, that, as far as cheap commander lands, which can be a problem mm -hmm. in a world where, like, fetches and duels are still kind of optimal, I really like when they put out cards like this. I, I know people get really upset when they print cards like uh, Command Tower and stuff like that, mm -hmm. but I think that's ignoring the people who don't have as much money to spend on the game and these are a good option for those people i also really like the names of them and like the flavor luxury suite that was a good name oh yeah luxury suite is so great that's the red black one for those of you who haven't seen them yet they they just are pretty cool the art looks pretty decent on them the world is very interesting based on these i was like trying to think about what it's like, i would describe it as caesar's palace 
Yes. Like Caesar's Palace, but like the casino. The casino, yeah. <laughs> it's like the casino with some other weird futuristic than a magic set would be. Mm-hmm. Or a lot more posh. Like Yeah, I just wanna react to something you said. As somebody who is very interested in card diversity oh, yeah, yeah. and deck diversity, mm-hmm. like I, I talk about that a lot. Yeah, I really yeah. think it's important for wizards to create commanders that create new archetypes that bring cards into the format that might not otherwise get played. I mm-hmm. think that, and I don't like good stuff decks that just play the the top cards in each color yeah. and the commanders like interchangeable. But that being said, <laughs> I don't actually have a problem with Command Tower. I actually, oh yeah, yeah. I think that like mana bases are mana bases. I don't think it really detracts from the format that everyone's running Command Tower. Yeah, or, or all the non monocolor decks are running Command Tower. Yeah, it, it's nice that me and my friend who has spent like a hundred dollars on Magic over the last two years can kind of get together and play a game that's not terrible yeah because i had access to lands that were more expensive and they didn't exactly i feel the same way i think that what's interesting about magic is more the non-land cards you're playing the spells and stuff uh that's what really makes the game interesting and it's pretty lame if like (laughs) you know i get essentially an extra mana every single turn because all my lands come into play untapped and i'm playing against some guy who's playing swift water cliffs yeah they they picked up like a set of the invasion tap lands like for a few cents like a year ago and that's all they got yeah i totally agree so yeah the basically i'm pretty i'm pretty high on these lands not that they're gonna change anything cool but they're a cool option for people um but what did we learn about the set so it's going to be a two-headed giant focus set. So two-headed giant, um, like Commander, is a multiplayer format, but you play with a friend, a partner. So I, I don't know how many of the listeners have gone into two-headed giant before. So basically the, the loose rules for two-headed giant are uh, you start the game with a partner, and your opponents uh, are a team also, and you each have 30 life between the two of you. Partners can share information and cards in hand, uh, but you can't share resources. So, like, you can't tap your mountain to pay for a red cost of your friend's spell. Attacks happen at the same time. Like, main phases happen at the same time. Blocks happen. I think you can cross-block nowadays. Uh, Block as a team and go through all the phases of a turn as a team. Yeah. Um, And that's kind of it. And it's interesting, the things that change when you have two opponents... Because if you have cards that say each opponent, all of a sudden they become dub- doubly mm-hmm. good. Yeah. So it is kind of... I would recommend trying it if you haven't. Um, it's not something that I try to jump into all the time. But mm-hmm. every now and then it's a pretty fun thing to try out. So this should be interesting. The draft. Do you want to talk about the draft? Did you? Yeah. One thing that, that kind of s- stuck out to me was the the draft in sealed format is a little unusual. So normally when you um, play sealed, you get six packs for yourself and you build a deck, a deck out of those. Anyone who's done a pre-release knows this. But in Battle Bond sealed, you are going to be splitting your packs with your partner. So it's six packs to create two decks. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of draft, it'll be four packs between the two of you. Mm-hmm. So... You're getting less product in these events yeah. than you normally would, which makes me think there's... Well, there's two reasons that might happen. One is that um, 
either prices reduced, like you're you're getting fewer packs, so you pay less. That's fine. Yeah. Or alternatively, it could be that Battle Bonds MSRP, the MSRP per pack is higher. Like mm-hmm. there's just more EV in the set than a normal set, and so yeah, uh, that would be nice, honestly. Yeah. So getting like uh, even just three packs, you're gonna get more value. So although. To be fair, like Wizards <laughs> EV calculator hasn't it's, been working that great for these supplemental sets yeah, lately. Yeah, that is definitely true. Um, so we'll see what happens. Having done some two-headed giant drafts before, is that um, you just do actually pay less. Most of the time when stores do that, you pay like a little bit more than the price of packs to enter. And then there's prizes and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So that's would be my guess, is that you're just not spending as much because you're splitting it with someone. If you're opening an unusual number of packs, how did, does that change like the prize payout? Um, oh yeah, that is true. I I don't know. So for example, if you're if you've got four teams of two, so eight people or four teams opening four packs each in a draft, so sixteen. So it's it, one box will be enough for two drafts of Battle Bond, or like, or do you just get double the number? of expected prizes or or yeah. is it like a 24 pack box and uh you get eight prize packs distributed among the winners yeah that's uh, i don't know I, I assume this is actually something they'll bring up when they start talking about this in a week or so yeah because that actually is a pretty big question <laughs> yeah like what am i getting when i pay for this mm-hmm. and they're pretty upfront about it typically so we'll yeah hopefully we'll find out about that soon but anyway that's the uh the information we know so far about Battle Bond and our initial questions yeah. about the set. Yeah, I am hopeful but pensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how I would describe it. Based on their recent track record, I am going to give them the benefit of the doubt. In the most recent Commander set, they dialed it way back on the multiplayer-only cards and yeah. then just committed more to the theme. Which was nice. It yeah, was cool. and I think that in this set we're just going to get a lot more of each opponent effects than normal, which work just fine in Commander. Yeah, yeah, and that's totally fine. So they, they kind of are talking about it like it will have Commander things. That's what people on Twitter have been talking about. That's what the Mothership has kind of talked about. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that that means that they actually put a little bit of thought into it as opposed to just like funny cool new product (laughs) but they have been pretty good i mean conspiracy was fun so this hopefully will be something like that um but yeah i think it might be do you want to move on to some deck lists sure um so i think we're gonna start by talking about teshar teshar is a very interesting combo deck teshar uh for those who haven't had a chance to see it it's three and a white for a two two flyer when you cast a historic spell, return target creature card with converted mana cost three or less from, from your graveyard to the battlefield. Uh, so again, artifacts, legendaries, and sagas are historic. Teshar has a lot of combo potential because mm-hmm. there's so much reanimation. He works really well with sack outlets. He also mm-hmm. works really well with cheap artifact creatures because it's pretty easy to get some... Kind of a recursive loop going. Yeah, if you have things that are able to return things to your hand. If you have small creatures that are able to return cards to your hand from the battlefield, Mm -hmm. then you can get something going without too much difficulty. uh, First, I'm just going to talk about the combo pieces. 
and then I'll go into uh, the the filler elements of the deck. Yeah. So there's uh, a lot of very similar cards. There's basically a critical mass of a lot of the important pieces, which is pretty important. So Aviary Mechanic is in the deck. He's one in a white for a Dwarf Artificer, 2-2. Two, two. Yeah. When it enters the battlefield, you may return another permanent you control to its owner's hand. So if you get, and there's a lot of redundancy in this deck, there's, uh, <laughs> but essentially, you're going to get a card like Aviary Mechanic. You're going to get one of the many sack outlets, like, for example, Ashnod's Altar. Mm -hmm, sack mm -hmm. a creature, get two colorless mana. Reasonable. Uh, and then you're going to get a few zero mana artifacts. What happens is you have Aviary Mechanic on the battlefield, you sack it, it's in your graveyard. You play, like, an Ornithopter. Aviary Mechanic is going to return to your battlefield, field, hill trigger, you'll just return. The initial time, you'll choose not to return anything. Then you've got Ornithopter, Sack Outlet, Aviary Mechanic on the battlefield. You Sack Aviary Mechanic again, you play a Memnite or some other zero mana artifact. Return Aviary Mechanic. This time, you bounce the Ornithopter. You've got one artifact, Aviary Mechanic, and then the Ornithopter's in your hand. So you can keep sacking Aviary Mechanic, replaying your zero mana artifacts, and uh, just getting infinite of whatever your sack outlet is generating for you. The, the things that bounce stuff to your hands don't all work the same, but they mostly work the yeah, same. Yeah, so, yeah so most of them are similar. So in addition to Aviary Mechanic, you have Emancipation Angel, you have Glinthawk, you have Core Skyfisher, you have Stone Cloaker, White Mane Lion. So decent amount of redundancy. And then uh, in terms of zero mana artifacts, you've got things like Ornithopter, Shield Sphere, Phyrexian Walker, Memnite. For yeah. some of these, they allow you to bounce any permanent type, so other zero mana artifacts will work. Mm -hmm. If you have like a Mox Amber yeah, this on is, the battlefield. I was going to say, this is probably one of the only decks that like Mox Amber is like actually good in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you've got, of course, your Sack Outlets, Altar of Dementia, Ashnod's Altar, Blasting Station, Phyrexian Altar. If you want to go deep, you can run Spawning Pit if you're not trying to... <laughs> That's the best. Yeah, which might work sometimes if Mox Amber is part of your combo, you can get that going. Yeah. <laughs> There's also other things you can do, like if you have a scrap trawler, or or actually better, a workshop assistant or a junk diver, oh, a mirror yeah, retriever. Yeah. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. It's easy to get combo, like sack outlet, mirror retriever, another mirror retriever analog, and then just get <laughs> infinite that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and in the process, reanimating as much as many like other cheap creatures as you want. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Uh, and then, once you have, in, I mean, some of these out sack outlets directly just kill someone. Yeah. Altar of Dementia will mill all your opponents out. Classic. Blasting Station mills everyone out. Yeah. Uh, for some of these, you have to find a way to make use of your infinite mana, and that's. And in order to do that, there it's a are. Choking mana white. <laughs> You also fill out the deck with a lot of ways to draw cards, or as, as many ways to draw cards as you can get in mm -hmm. mono-white and preferably in creature form. Yeah. So you'll have things like Mentor of the Meek, or Wall of Omens as a creature that can oh, come that's back. Cool. Yeah, um, yeah. Filigree. Filigree, yeah. He's not bad in this deck. And then you might run, like, Thraven Inspector, so cheap creatures that are pretty easy to... Cheap creatures are really easy to recur in this deck, so these ones will just help you dig through mm -hmm. what you're doing. Um, depending on which combo you've assembled... Oh, Bygone Bishop, that's another yeah, one. By, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's a, depending on what combo you've assembled, you might have additional reanimation that you can use to get back these card draw creatures. Mm -hmm. 
And then the win condition of the deck is just walking ballista. <laughs> yeah. Eventually you're going to find it. That's really great. Um, oh, and there's uh, there's some very sick things you can do with this deck. So uh, Recruiter of the Guard and any oh. sack outlet is basically a one-card combo. Oh, yeah, that's pretty cool, um, actually. Because he can search out. He can get your aviary mechanic and your ornithopter and your memnite. And if you just play them in the right order, you get whatever you want. Yeah, you get them all. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> also, uh, there's a lot of cards that are just tech that work really well in the deck. Enduring Renewal. Oh, yeah. Whenever a creature, like A, the milling creatures is fine because you can get them all back anyway. And then just having a creature die and return to your hand, that's you've already got a million sack outlets. Mm -hmm. So it works great. Skull Clamp, obviously amazing in this deck. Yeah. I like Mesmeric Orb a lot in this deck. Um, oh, yeah. It plays out of its graveyard really easily, so I think it's worth it. And, and card draw is so rare in white, mm -hmm. and this deck is so good at using its graveyard as a second hand that I think Mesmeric Orb is pretty solid. Yeah, it's probably worth it. Ranger of Eos is pretty good. Um, yeah. Getting both uh, zero mana artifact creatures you need for some of the other combos mm -hmm. in a single guy is pretty useful. It's pretty easy to add mana to this deck because Mox Amber is good. Mox Opal is good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mox Dime. Uh, Mox Dime is a little worse, but, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's it's not bad. Yeah. And then uh, another thing you can do is it's really easy to fill up space in this deck. If you want to go hard on the combo aspect and really reduce the variance, make it easier for you to um, get your combo pieces, mm -hmm. there's just so many like zero and one mana artifacts that draw cards. So yes, you can yeah, yeah. reduce your... Uh, Effective your, card number. Exactly. Yeah. Like your practical deck size is smaller if you're running things like Mishra's Bobble, Urza's Bobble, Conjurer's Bobble... Uh, chromatic star whatever the the white spell bombs or whatever yeah you know, all that kind of bull crap so it's it's not very difficult to decrease the size of your deck increase your odds of getting the the combo <laughs> and uh and of course this is only one way to build teshar it's very possible to just build value teshar mm -hmm. not which is of course a lot more pro-social you can just <laughs> uh you can just do things like have your Mangara of Corridor, and when you cast him, you get something back, and then you can tap him, sack him, because you're going to run sack outlets in mm -hmm. any build of Teshar. Yeah. And then he's small enough that you can recur, so he's just a repeatable Vindicate that also gets you permanence when you cast him. Yeah, that's actually pretty... I love when people can abuse that little guy. Yeah. And then there's things like Lieutenant Kurtar or Fiend Hunter. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. You, if you've got sack outlets, you can permanently exile things with Fiend Hunter. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of a lot of cheap white creatures that get value somehow. You've got your Capuchin Unicorn if you want to disenchant <laughs> stuff. That's um, Yeah, so there's, uh, there's a couple Teshar builds. Uh, basically, they run the spectrum from combo to control uh and i think he's i think he's gonna be a really fun interesting commander to play with yeah no i definitely think that i think that they did a really good job of like plugging in things for these legendary creatures to do in the set too mm -hmm. to kind of give people hints so like tragic poet is in the set mm. which works with him you like you, dauntless bodyguard yeah dauntless bodyguard him. like stuff like that so i think that just based on the little bit i've seen of this guy, I think that he'll be actually like a pretty fun deck. It's definitely a theme that they've toyed with in white 
like in the past, but we hadn't really had a critical mass. So getting him as yeah. your commander just makes it so you can definitely make sure that this is the, the style of game you're going to be playing. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Mm-hmm. We can discuss Joyra. Although there's a there's oh, a fair amount depth. Yeah, yeah, there's a fair amount of uh, overlap there. Yeah, I, I do want to say that. So I was hoping that they would print Joyra and then, like, they wouldn't check the artifact commander red blue artificer commander box and then in morrow's article oh but they did yeah he's like hey we finally got you guys your red blue artifact commander now stop asking about it never bother me again (laughs) no so i do like jorah i'm gonna throw that out there i'm very happy that this exists i just just please like i want they just didn't even I mean, uh, I just want a cooler theme or like a cooler direction. Like, give me a uh, man. Yeah, no, this is not about to be a fun deck. This is no. like. Well, <laughs> yeah, here, do you want to dig you. into it? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, for those who don't know, Jora is two blue red for a human artificer. She's a 3 3, and whenever you cast a historic spell, draw a card. So, I mean, I've said this before. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, in terms of blue red artifact commanders, this is really, really lazy design. Because mm-hmm. it just. I think that prior to this card existing, you could build blue red artifact decks, but they just tended towards combo. Because, <laughs> like, the things that artifacts are really good at is generating mana. Mm-hmm. And you have, like, okay, I'm going to just put a ton of mana rocks in my deck. What's the best way to win with this? And it's like, and then you start looking, oh, I could Paradox Engine, and then all my card draw spells, like, also generate mana, and yeah. then somehow I will win at that point. Yep, yep. I have designed blue-red commanders just for fun, and I tried to design uh, cards that would encourage a different style of play, but then we got Joyra, and it's like, well, now the Soul Rings and Mana Crypts and Mana Rocks that you were going to be playing anyway also draw you cards just enhance the power of the combo engine yeah it's pretty heinous yeah as i'm about to tell you like this deck is just like 40 artifacts and they all like net mana or draw (laughs) cards and i was like oh (laughs) Uh, so i don't think this is fully tuned yeah but it doesn't matter because it's still like goldfish it like the turn you cast joyra you win so (laughs) (laughs) so okay here's let me let me read you out it's exactly as i've been describing um so you got your uh, Basalt Monolith, which, uh, honestly, like, the more expensive Mana Rocks are not actually that great in this deck, but this one is useful because it's you go through your deck so quickly that it's not difficult to assemble combos. Yeah. So Basalt Monolith is more in there as a combo piece, although, you know, casting it on turn three and then having Joyra plus some mana open is also pretty good on turn four. So you're also going to have, like... Uh, Chromox, Mox Amber, Mox Diamond, Mox Opal, uh, uh, Lotus Petal is actually oh. quite good in this deck. God, when Lotus Petal draws you a card, what kind of world are you living in? Yeah, uh, Lion's Eye Diamond, actually great in this deck. What? Yeah. Um, Urza's Bobble, uh, honestly, like, Tormod's Crypt is totally fine. I mean, it draws you a card, it's bas- it's pretty much free to run your deck. That's uh, really funny. Uh, Spellbook, even though, like, you actually... Spellbook doesn't actually is, do anything in this deck because you're going to win the turn you cast your Spellbook. <laughs> if you're casting Spellbooks, you're probably going to win anyway. That's so funny. And then, of course, like, Grim Monolith, Mana Vault, uh, Soul Ring... The classics. Uh, Mana Crypt. 
yada yada, Voltaic Key, and then even like even some things that don't net you mana, but generate cards like Chromatic Sphere, Chromatic Star. Um, oh yeah, yeah, Terrarian maybe something like that. Yeah, Relic of Progenitus. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're even if it only costs you one mana to get a card out of it, in addition to the card you're getting off Joyra, it's probably fine. <laughs> but really, how the deck works, uh, the the real crux of the deck is Retract, Hercules Recall, and Paradoxical Outcome. Oh yeah, um, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, even with like a pretty high rate of artifacts like there's 40 artifacts in the deck most of which are pretty cheap Mm -hmm. you are gonna be accumulating lands and your your hit rate isn't gonna be perfect yeah but if you get a single one of these things or you gamble for it mystical tutor merchant scroll whatever then you drastically increase your chances of going off and getting all the way to a win yeah i don't know if anyone watches vintage super league vintage is a buck wild format and i highly recommend tuning in even just like watching one of the videos because it's ridiculous it's Mm -hmm. really funny but this the fact that this what you're talking about here with paradoxical outcome like mirrors (laughs) things you do in vintage like that's that's a plus like really funny (laughs) but also a bad sign yeah <laughs> that's so funny i mean like yeah God. this commander is just extremely degenerate that's so great oh and crazy i haven't even gotten to the creature suite so of course uh memnite ornithopter phyrexian walker <laughs> shield sphere obviously of course the two real champs in this deck are quicksmith genius and riddlesmith quicksmith genius is whenever an artifact it's three cost three two human artificer Whenever an artifact enters the battlefield, you may discard a card. Oh, you the looter draw guy. A card. Yeah, 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 okay. Uh, the rummager. Rummager, and yeah. And then the uh, Riddlesmith is part of a cycle from Scars of Mirrodin, and it's two costs, two one. Oh. Whenever you cast an artifact, you draw loot. and discard. Yeah. Yeah. So these guys drastically increase your hit rate. Um, <laughs> if you get one of them down, then it's like between, between drawing two cards and discarding one, you're probably going to have another card to get you mm-hmm. another artifact to trigger Joyra again, yeah. and trigger the Riddlesmith again. Or you have a land in your hand that you can pitch. Yeah, to, and so you yeah. can really easily just keep going and going and going. So, win conditions. Uh, when, <laughs> when, when you're doing something this busted, it doesn't matter how you win. <laughs> like, you guys, honestly, you guys can figure it out for yourselves, but uh, I was thinking, like, I mean, once you have Basalt Monolith rings, you can get infinite mana mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. something with that I, I don't know i honestly haven't really figured out that part of the deck because <laughs> most people it just scoop once you start going <laughs> once your turn's like 12 minutes long they, they can see the writing on the if wall if you can net a bunch of mana you could just do like normal things like um comet storm or you could but the problem is then you got to put comet storm in your deck oh that is true i think i think the answer is just walking ballista again because you play it for zero it triggers joyra <laughs> And then <laughs> you can get it back or something. Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be ways to get it back. Maybe. Yeah. This. Oh man, what was the other one? Aetherflux Reservoir. Oh yeah. There, there you go. go. That's a good one. So yeah, like devote like one of your 99 cards will be the way you win something, the game. Yeah. And then the rest will be uh, ways to draw cards or generate mana. Beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful torrent a, of it, bustedness. Honest, honestly, like. It makes sense. it's Joyra's perfect machine. It's it's a flavor it's a flavor build. It's a flavor build, obviously. Vorthos is everywhere. Yeah. We'll flock when you start playing. They're like, did you just draw a card off of that lotus petal? <laughs> wow. So Dominaria, we're talking mostly about those commanders. 
I think it did two, I think we both think it did two really good things, which is it opened up new avenues, uh, two you just kind of heard about, and then it also expanded kind of the area of design for other archetypes that existed, mm -hmm. and maybe weren't supported super well. So, yeah, um, there's a big difference between being supported. Well, can I spoil it? Yeah, go for it. There's a big difference between being supported by Vertiloth and Namada and being supported <laughs> by Slimefoot. Yes, exactly. So, Slimefoot, uh, I'm not going to get too into the nitty gritty what you can do to build it. The option you had before Slimefoot existed, if you wanted to do a green black Sapperling deck, which honestly does open up a lot more cards because of the Thalids and uh, like sacrifice engines you get from black and mm -hmm. card draw engines and recursion and stuff like that, which is super cool, was Thelen of Havenwood, who for the longest time was actually not legal in Commander mm -hmm. <laughs> because you couldn't play him because the black in his color identity wasn't in his color identity. They had to change not that allowed. rule. Yeah. yeah, Bosch, Iron Golem, Nemnark. There's a few that were just the jokes of like, oh, well, poor Thelen, like, uh -huh. never playing him. But they changed it, and you could play him, but he is not not very good. Although, honestly, <laughs> he might be... I would be interested in revisiting him, because there are so many Thalids in this set. Yeah, that is true. So Thelen of Havenwood, just so everyone knows, he uh, costs green-green. He It's a CMC of two. Uh, he's a 2-2. Two, two, uh, I think he was an elf, but I'm going to have to look at his... Yeah, level. whatever. It doesn't really matter. But what he said was uh, each fungus creature gets plus one, plus one for each spore counter on it. And then it has black, green, exile a fungus card from a graveyard, put a spore counter on each fungus on the battlefield. So this wasn't necessarily a sapperling commander, but thalids make sapperlings typically, mm -hmm. classically. Uh, they do in Dominaria just differently without spore counters. So this was kind of your only option. He is an elf druid. I just looked him up. A very different deck. Uh, that's a very different avenue to go into. This is very much dependent on your funguses, and you just kind of passively ended up with a bunch of sapperlings. Uh, if you, I think if you were building this deck like more streamlined. Whereas Slimefoot now literally just tells you what you get and it gives it to you pretty good mm -hmm. so two three so like pretty decent stats for three um draining one whenever a sapperling dies from each opponent well not from each opponent but they all lose one when one of your sapperlings die that's pretty cool it's an engine you make a bunch of mana because you're in black green you can channel it in and pump out a bunch of little guys that's pretty cool. This just basically was an avenue that, until Slimefoot existed, was not an easy thing people could do. Because mm -hmm. Cyberlings have had fan bases for a long time. And they've had a lot of good cards in black-green. Yeah, oh, definitely. Like, like Golgari Germination, Necrogenesis. Yes. There are some solid... But prior to uh, Slimefoot, if you wanted to build Sapperlings, you I think you might just do Gave, and then yes. <laughs> about, like, five <laughs> minutes into the first game, you'd realize, oh, you know, I could be just winning with Gave. Yeah. That sounds more fun. Yeah, I could just do this instead. Yeah. And, and there are so many Sapperling cards. I encourage you to look at them because some of them are really funny. Some of them are really interesting. Sapperling's art direction has changed from set to set, so it's cool to see, like, what was a Sapperling on this set? What was a Sapperling on this set? There are a lot more of the Verdant Force variants. So you have Verdant Force, obviously, in 8-mana 7-7. Seven, seven. You get a Sapperling on each upkeep. There's Tender Shoot Dryad. So there's a lot more, and, and there's a few others. Verdant Embrace. Verdant Embrace. There, there's a few more things like that that just give you a consistent stream of uh, little guys mm -hmm. that you can then sack to the Black Sack outlets or whatever. Thalid Soothsayer Thalid Soothsayer. Oh, yeah, Thalid Soothsayer is awesome. So you're kind of getting the idea, like, 
you can very quickly get value from all of these good cards that have existed over the years, but in this new shell, it kind of takes on a new life. I think one of the funniest cards is Life and Limb. Yeah. We kind of mentioned it earlier, but that is actually pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> so stuff like that. Life and Limb is really weird. So if you combo, you probably know yeah. this card. But it's a four-man enchantment. All forests are saplings, and all saplings are 1-1 one, one green sapling creatures and forest lands in addition to their other types. So your saplings tap for mana, and your mana is a sapling. So that's pretty funny. So mm-hmm. there's just a bunch of cool, quirky things that were not available in any good sense I until now. Yeah, I definitely like it when wizards... I mean, I'm sure this wasn't their thought process, but when they take existing powerful commanders and then pair it down yeah. into, like, oh, this... Or, or when they find com- when they look at commanders that support multiple archetypes and yeah. then just cut it down to a single archetype. Yeah. Gave is one of the best plus one plus one counter commanders. Yes. He's like one of the best token commanders. He's himself just a combo engine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he could have been your Sapperling commander prior to this set. So I like that they are breaking him down into digestible pieces. You really don't, like, you don't need the white for a Sapperling deck, but you would need it for, like, the plus plus one counter deck or whatever. Yeah. So I really hope that they find more opportunities to do that. It would be awesome if they did the same thing with Atraxa. Yes. No, I also agree. I think Atraxa is too many things. Just too many. But plus one counter commander, proliferate commander, yeah. planeswalker commander. Oh God. Yeah, it's a little bit too much going on there. But I think with that, do you want to move? On. We have a few more decks to talk about. Yeah, I wanted to briefly touch on. Um, I want to briefly touch on another tribal commander, mm-hmm. and I think it's a good point of contrast between Slimefoot and this other one, which is Ariel Knight of Windgrace. So Ariel Knight of Windgrace is two white black for a four four vigilance. You can pay two and a white and tap her to create a two two white knight creature token with vigilance, and you can pay black, tap her, and tap <laughs> X untapped knights you control to destroy target creature with power X or less. I think Slimefoot is a solid uh, Sapperling commander because he pushes in a different direction than most token commanders. Mm-hmm. A lot of token commanders are just about buffing. Yeah, anthemming so, your team and attacking. Yeah. Exactly. So like the focus, bringing in the, the black a bit more and focusing more on sacrifice, using Sapperlings as fodder and chump blockers and getting value that way. Like mm-hmm. The fact that it doesn't matter... It doesn't really matter whether you block the Sapperling uh, or whether the Sapperling dies. It's already done its duty when Slimefoot's on the battlefield. Yeah. That's, that's a cool style of play. And also just getting an additional layer of value when you feed him to your skull clamp or whatever. Yeah. Slimefoot, I think, enhances what Sapperlings are already good at, which is just existing on the battlefield in large numbers and dying. So it's great that they're, that Slimefoot takes it in a different direction. Like, okay, I'm not good at that thing. What can I do? So Ariel, in contrast, I don't think this is a solid tribal reward, I don't, and I don't think this reward makes sense for what knights are like. So the punchline on this card is that if you have knights with vigilance, then tapping them isn't really a cost. Yeah, you put your shields down or whatever, but it hardly matters if you get to attack and use them to fuel this ability. But the problem is, there aren't actually that many knights with vigilance, yeah. especially not that many commander playable ones. So... <laughs> 
I mean, knight tokens, sure, but there also aren't that many knight token generators. Yeah, I, I want to say that when we were talking about this earlier, I forgot that you had to tap X untapped knights you control you for the black ability. You tap where X yeah, is the number of knights you control. Exactly. I thought it was black tap destroy target creature with power X or less where X is the knights you control. I didn't realize you had to tap a bunch of guys. Like, yeah. if they have a verdant force in your limited game, you have to wait till you have seven knights. Yes. I think that, A, the cost doesn't align with what knights are good at, mm -hmm. because although, yes, the founding of Benalia or whatever... Oh, History of Benalia. History of yeah, Benalia. Yeah. yeah, that creates knights with vigilance, but there's really not a critical mass of token generators that produce knights with vigilance, mm -hmm. and most of your other knights just don't have vigilance. And then the reward, I don't think it's what knights really want. Yeah, it's not a very good payoff for what a knight, like a white-black knight deck would want to be doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, if you have access to white and black, killing creatures isn't really your problem. Mm -hmm. You've got, I mean, if you have swords and doomblade and dozens of variants of each, then you don't care so much about spot removal. You got that shit covered. Mm -hmm. What I want tribal commanders to do is patch up the weaknesses of the tribe. Yeah. In the same way that Lyra Dawnbringer doesn't <laughs> really solve the problem of making angels good in Commander, I don't think uh, Ariel solves the problem of making knights good in Commander. Yeah, I agree. I think that they just didn't really push in the direction that it needed to go into to make this deck actually like feel like a knight deck. With, with Slimefoot, to bring that up again, like... You're making these tiny disposable guys and you're using them for various purposes that aren't even necessarily attacking. And that's what sapperlings have been doing for forever. If anyone remembers Jund, like Jund had a huge sapperling theme because you would eat, the joke was the dragons ate the sapperlings, so mm -hmm. you'd sack them. Like, so it's, Slimefoot is perfectly in line with what sapperlings have done throughout the years. Whereas this is at a left field, I would say. Like it's not even really, like it's, it, they didn't even really look at the knights that yeah. exist, I feel like. And there's also the question of, I mean, it feels like knights want to be aggressive because there's a lot of double strike and there tend to be cheap, efficient bodies and there's some, and some of the knights have anthem effects. Mm -hmm. But if that's the case, then you really don't want to be tapping them down to pay for to this To pay ability. for a cost, yeah. I am I'm not in love with Ariel's design. I think that a better design, I mean, it would have been lazier because they used this for, um, they used this for Sliver Hivelord, but honestly, just oh. putting knight exemplars text on a black-white body. Would have been good, Would have yeah. been fine. Like, I think a, a cool black-white knight would have been like, if a knight is blocked by a creature with power less than the number of attacking knights you control, destroy it or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like, that would have been kind of cool. That would have been like a white-black yeah. knighty thing, because that's mean, what you wanted to do. I mean, that yeah, that's fine. Like, knights uh, don't really have evasion, yeah. so it makes sense to give them some sort of evasion ability. Or, oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Or, or resilience. Just like, or, like... Knights you control have first strike and death touch. Yeah, that would have been cool. <laughs> uh, like, hey, you got the white, you got the black, you got abilities that synergize. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's not, even, honestly, that's not even busted because your board's going to get wrapped in like two turns. So yeah. It's yeah, all good. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is just us riffing, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I Shooting from the hip. Yeah, I think that Ariel uh, could have been a much more interesting commander because right now, as it stands, I don't think the. Uh, the juice is worth the squeeze in terms of committing to this one creature type. Yeah. Yeah, so in terms of building the deck, you can. this is one you can kind of figure out yourself. You just do gather, search for knight in the text or creature type. Yeah, yep. There's, 
I, th I think it would be important to make room for Entomb and Buried Alive because Hakon seems like he would be a really... Yeah, cool addition. Yeah, essential part of that deck. But otherwise, like, standard Triumphal stuff, Coat of Arms, etc., etc. The next deck I want to talk about is not actually uh, something you can open in a booster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's Firesong and Sunspeaker. And uh, Firesong and Sunspeaker is four red-white for a four-six... Minotaur, uh, is it a cleric? Um, yeah, Minotaur cleric, he called it. There we go. Uh, red instant and sorcery spells you control have lifelink, and whenever a white instant or sorcery spell causes you to gain life, Fire Song and Sunspeaker deals three damage to target creature or player. So the first ability is really what you're building around, because yeah. that's, what, that's what the payoff is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so essentially this deck is all about earthquake effects, and you're going to be running earthquake, fault line, rolling earthquake, <laughs> star storm... <laughs> I could keep going. Yeah. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. it's. I think it's really convenient that Fire Song and Sunspeaker has six toughness. Because if you're wrapping the board for five, that's going to clear most things away. And then you might supplement that a little bit with things like Mark of Asylum or Runetail, Kitsune Ascendant. What else? There's also um, Light of Sanction. Mm -hmm. So these are all cards. The Light of Sanction is three cost enchantment, prevent all damage that would be dealt to creatures you control by sources you control. Uh, Mark of Asylum is two cost enchantment, prevent all non-combat damage that would be dealt to creatures you control. Rune Tail, Kitsune Ascendant is, uh, if you have 30 life, it flips, so mm -hmm, it flips. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then prevent all damage that would be dealt to creatures you control. You can also run, like, Dark Steel Plate, whatever. Uh, yeah, or, like, normal things. Sword of Fire and Ice, give your things pro-red. Oh, yeah. And then Fire Song and Sunspeaker are just going to translate your Earthquakes into huge amounts of life. Yeah, massive um, life swings. Yeah, so you can just kind of plan on earthquaking people out, or you can go for like a quick victory with something like Test of Endurance or. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 That's pretty cool. Felidar Sovereign, whatever. Yeah. Cheese some people. I did a little bit of initial testing with the deck, and the only downside is that um, you really need to have Fire Song and Sunspeaker on the board to be doing your thing. And yeah. They cost six. So yeah, in red-white. Yeah, the first few turns of the game are just very, very slow. I kind of wish... I get that six toughness is important on them, and in order to justify that six toughness, they had to increase the mana cost a little bit. And also, this isn't something they're like trying to push because it would be really unfortunate if this was a standard playable card if it, yeah yeah if like everyone was trying to rush the card that you can't get, in booster, get packs. in booster packs yeah but i just wish it was cheaper so that i could get my game plan started a little sooner it'd be really nice if it was like a 2-2 with pro red or something mm -hmm. and then i could cast him on like turn four or whatever and then turn five play my fiery confluence and yeah. feel really smart or, yeah. you know that sort of thing feel really smart yeah <laughs> i like that but yeah there's in addition to the the obvious stuff like uh blasphemous act star of extinction mm -hmm. uh you want to make sure you got your repercussions that's gonna increase oh the yeah clock. definitely would you run forbidden orchard in this deck i would say no just or, you or, don't want to give him a guy to well use Actually, you know what? I would. Whatever. You're going to be wiping the board all the time. Yeah, because I feel like even like the little small, like you said, Fiery Confluence or something like that, with pretty big effects once you're, the guys are on the field. Mm -hmm. So it might be worth it. No, I think I think you're right. Thinking on it, this deck is built 100% around board wipes, so mm -hmm. other people's creatures hardly matter at all, and it's just more life for you to gain later. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the hunted 
the oh, cycle, so, would they be worth it? So there's remember. the hunted dragon makes two two knights. And did then, they have first strike or what did they have? They had they something, might have, right? They might have vigilance or whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, hunted, and then there's hunted lamasu, which I think makes horrors. Um, it creates a four four horror. Yeah. Yeah, and then hunted dragon. Do they have first strike? Uh, hunted dragon. With first strike, yeah. Okay. So they get three first striking knights. Yeah, that's yeah. actually that's fine for a I'd, I'd say I'd say no to those because I don't. I think that um, the value you're getting out of Forbidden Orchard is okay. This land gets me perfect mana, and, and yeah, later this on is a lot of setup. Because this is also you need to have Fire Song and Sunspeaker, and then you cast your Hunted Dragon, and then you cast your Fireball, and, and also Hunted Dragon is just like is a bad. vanilla creature. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh sweet, I'm just gonna like kill my own Lamasu with this Earthquake. Or actually, never, <laughs> never mind. It does have flying. Yeah, both of flying. them have flying. Um, but still, it's just a vanilla creature, and it. Even though life, the life gain in this deck is pretty solid. That, that might be too big of a downside still. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, agree. I, I could see that. Yeah, but I think this is a really um, great design. Yeah. Uh, Red-white is always going to be behind in card advantage and mana, mm -hmm. but red and white are pretty good at affecting life totals. Mm -hmm. And this makes that ability scale well to multiplayer, so it's actually relevant. Because normally you really can't care about life gain. No, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, this is a like a cool way of all of a sudden making those cards, uh, and also life gain as a strategy, big enough without being like overtly like double your life or mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah, and also and like enhances direct damage, which normally is bad. Mm -hmm. Like I normally really dislike earthquake effects because. Wraths are sort of more controlling, and if yeah. you're the one who needs to be wiping the board, then you probably don't want to be losing life in the process. Yeah. <laughs> like, like really, the way a lot of people try to play Commander is, I'm going to stabilize and then figure out how to win once I have really solid control of the game. And then damage-based Wraths tend to make it harder for you to stabilize. So yeah. you're fighting that tendency, but Fire Song and Sunspeaker turn that into an awesome upside. Yeah. Like your earthquakes are both your win condition and the way you protect yourself. So it's a, it's a cool deck. Glad they exist. Yeah, I actually am too. I, I, I'm I still kind of blown away that you can't get them in a booster pack. <laughs> yeah. That's and such a weird thing. They haven't done that since the book. Yeah, things? but fortunately, like the backlash has been so strong that they're not definitely not going to do this again. Yeah. But... God, I'm wondering if they already had something planned for, like, Core 19 and it's too late. <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah. It's actually not too long away. I think that'll come out around J July. Is that usually when it comes out? Yeah, because their, like their turnaround time in terms of responding to feedback isn't that fast. So there might be another... Another thing like this coming up. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess the one last thing uh, that I wanted to bring up, because it has still been a topic of discussion on the internet, is a Brawl, and the Brawl as a format. And specifically, Brawl as a uh, an expensive hobby or endeavor someone might be going into. Mm -hmm. um, I made some very untuned Brawl lists where my entire goal was to make them as expensive as I could possibly make them with a 60-card singleton standard pool of cards. Mm -hmm. And so now that I've said those words, you might be like, oh, maybe I was a little bit more worried than I should be. Uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, basically, I made a few deck lists. The most expensive one that I could pull together just from like my backside was I made a Hwatli, the red-white one, 
deck, and I put in every creature, every red thing that was worth a hundred dollars, not a hundred, like twenty bucks or something like that. So this has Rekindling Phoenix in it. This had the Hazarets in it. This had Chandra, Tortured Defiance. You this got had, your History of Banalia? I got History, I did, yeah, I got History of Banalia. I actually would probably put in like Lyra Dawnbringer now, I'd bring in surprise. I'm running. Uh, All right, Lyra's like what twenty five now. Let's, yeah, we'll just at, tack that on. We'll to tack the grand that onto this. I'm running the uh, masterpiece Gear Hulks, the white and red Gear Hulks. Uh, I'm running a bunch of stuff like that, and the grand total for this deck, one hundred forty dollars. So that one sixty five with Lyra. One sixty five with Lyra. So I this was the most expensive one I could do. I pulled the most. I looked at standard. And pulled the most expensive cards. Because even Torrential Gear Hulk is only $10 right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pulled the most expensive cards. I guess I would put Karn in here too. So if I was really, really trying to break my pocketbook on a brawl, I'd be at 200 And this is like specifically like not even making a good deck. This is trying to put as much value into a deck as possible. I came out to this much money. And honestly, even this is like looks pretty fun. Like, it's just kind of an aggro deck. You got a little bits of synergy here and there, but not really that much. But that's kind of how Brawl is going to be, as it's a standard card pool. Like, your synergies are going to be more, much more subtle. It's going to be like, oh, my Sahili copied my Torrential Gear Hulk, and I got another spell this turn. Like, mm-hmm. stuff like that, as opposed to uh, Tishar, as we were talking about earlier, casting creatures to get back creatures and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So the uh, synergies are going to be much smaller um, but and also, uh, I I think another criticism that I've heard levied against Brawl is that I mean it's the same criticism that's levied against rotating formats in oh, general, yeah, yeah. which is like if I buy in uh, buy a commander deck, I pay that cost exactly once. Yeah. Whereas I've got to continuously update my Brawl deck, and then eventually the commander is just going to uh, rotate, and then I'm going to be left with a pile of cards. Yeah. But I think the counter argument to that is that even if you spend your what five hundred, six hundred, mm-hmm. many more dollars on your commander deck, I'd say most people, most commander players will often deconstruct their commander decks. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty rare for uh, a commander deck to survive more than, or I wouldn't say rare, but the majority of commander decks I'd say get deconstructed within. You know, two years or something like yeah, that. Yeah, usually people, like, they make a deck that they like a lot. Maybe they'll keep that one throughout the years. And then there's some auxiliary decks that they're constantly yeah. building and taking apart. They'll try out other things. And the thing, and although there is, like, overlap and uh, format staples, there are also a lot of cards that are specific to a commander that you're just never going to use again. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, if you got your Waves of Aggression for your Narset deck, like, there's not that many... I don't think there's any really solid white-red aggro commanders that... No. ...where you could use that Waves of Aggression again. So, like, yeah. you tend to accumulate a lot of cards that are good only in extremely niche <laughs> Archetypes, builds. Yeah. yeah. It's not that you're losing value, but you just have cards that have value that you can't use yeah you can't access the value that is there Um, and if you trade those then it then that's hardly different from just trading your older standard staples for newer standard staples Mm -hmm. yeah and and so really the thing i want to 
hammer home with this is is yet like the format is cheap it's cheap to play cheap to make and it is like we said before specifically not a replacement for commander Mm -hmm. this is not a format that is meant to like in any way shape or form like topple commander off of the throne or something like that this is something that kind of as we said before is an on ramp into commander or standard or modern or whatever that person kind of finds they like the most in kind of a flavorful way, in a way that they can connect to. It's a lot easier. I think this was some of the genius with, um, like, Overwatch is, like, instead of making, like, TF2, like, archetype, like, actually tying the the skill set to a character, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have people who care about that character. This is what Brawl is doing here, too. All of a sudden, instead of being like, oh, I like this aggro deck, you're like, oh, I like Kari Zev, like, mm-hmm. Skyship. Like, you, you tie yourself to the character, which is a lot easier for people to do. And it is a great way to get standard-esque gameplay and it's like an alternative when standard is bad exactly yeah 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 it's yeah i think that uh, that is the other good thing and i think a thing that will be pushed on it is that the format will be something people can still play and something they can still push if something goes wrong in standard and i do think that standard actually isn't really going to have as many problems now they've done so many things the last few years uh, in regards to how cards are designed and mm-hmm. reviewed and edited to kind of stop that from happening. So I'm fairly confident that we're not going to see any major mess-ups like that for at least a, a while, mm. hopefully. What about Karn? I don't, is Karn a mess-up, do you think, though? Well, it's just a problem because it... He's very expensive. <laughs> well, the issue is like it, he goes in so many decks so easily. Yeah, it's that's kind true. of got the like looter-scooter issue of... Oh, yeah, yeah. He Okay, he generates cards and threats and goes in... And, any deck can cast him. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll find out. Do you think that Brawl is going to pave the way for Planeswalkers and Commander? Do you think the rules committees might reevaluate that stuff? I hope so, because honestly, I don't think it's a problem. I don't, yeah. I, don't I think, like, as long as they hit the ones that are bad. Yeah, like, like some will have to be banned, stuff, yeah. but it's not that difficult to figure out which ones. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that it is fun. I think the gameplay with them is fun. I think people know how to handle them. Um, it's it's not really a problem. I think it is something that could be looked at again because now it's like the face of magic. Mm-hmm. Like Planeswalkers just kind of inherited the space as the flagships of the sets and, and the game. So I think not yeah. giving people access to that. There'd be some really cool splash damage if that occurred, is that they could print a version of Duretti without the Duretti oh, yeah. commander. <laughs> That'd be be the, cool? That would be pretty awesome, actually. <laughs> but I don't know. Do you have any last thoughts? Anything you want to say? Uh, no, no. Uh, I, was, I had a lot of fun digging into a couple of these builds, and uh, we may do a little bit more of that in the future. Um, mm-hmm. There are, of course, a lot, lot... Of new commanders in Dominaria. So I think we've got a lot of material for this kind of show. So let us know if you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, uh, thanks for listening.